to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 16th of February, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me are Moira Lowe and Richard Pugh, and also, a little later, a guest reader, Annabelle Hall. Our recording engineer is Alex Gwynne, and we are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our readers, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers published letters, and thought for the week. Nowadays, obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear those, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tapes. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you. And a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767766. Or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone facility on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So, we'll start this evening with thought for the week, Moira. Okay, this is from John three eighteen to 20. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Thank you, Moira. Well, we haven't got any birthdays this week, so we now go on to those useful telephone numbers. I've already given you the telephone number for Colin Chance House. So the next one is for the Police Non-Emergency 101. NHS Direct 111, Crime Stoppers 0800 555 1, Worcester Hub Worcester 765 765, Worcester Here to Help Worcester 768053 and request option 3. Community Risk, 
that's the team for fire safety including included in other things zero eight zero 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 three two one one double five domestic abuse zero eight hundred nine eight zero treble three one Samaritans one one six one two three and that's a free phone number Worcester Theatres Worcester six double one four two seven Malvern Theatres zero one six eight four eight nine two two double seven and the National Grid zero eight treble zero three two eight three zero two and they operate a priority service register in the case of energy loss and power cuts right now let's go on to the headlines and i'm going to ask moira to start with last friday's okay so my headline is warriors vanishing new owners end bid for championship name to be replaced and new club at six ways is the by headline the new owners at six ways have revealed their plans for the club Atlas Worcester Warriors Rugby Club Limited confirmed they had withdrawn their application to compete in the championship next year. Instead, they will build a new team based around Starbridge RFC, which will be rebranded as Six Ways Rugby and will compete at the lower level National League 2 West. But fans expressed disappointment with the plans, which effectively end hope of resurrecting Worcester Warriors. Director of Atlas, Jim O'Toole, revealed plans to build a hotel, medical centre, conference and events facilities on the Six Ways site, and later told journalists that they were in communication with WASPs over a move to Six Ways. Mr O'Toole said they had pulled out of championship because they could not agree to RFU conditions and commercial restrictions. Instead, Atlas also led by former London Irish player James Sanford, said former Worcester Warriors players will be recruited alongside Starbridge's first team. We will invest in Starbridge's semi-professional first team and they will play at six ways, said O'Toole. We will invest significantly to get them through the leagues. The plan will be to reach the championship by 2026. We hope to be able to call upon former players to come in and help us move through the divisions. Some of the older guys who can still mix it in that league, as well as the players who were breaking through from the academy. Mr O'Toole added, We know this will be an emotional crossroads for so many, but this is the start of a new journey, and we believe the time to begin a new era starts here. We hope to keep fans up to date at all times. We will be transparent. In a statement, the RFU said its priority had always been to enable Worcester Warriors to play in the championship and Worcester Warriors women in the Premier 15s. The information required has been asked for repeatedly and deadlines were extended to provide the best possible chance for this to happen, it said. The RFU will now consult with the local rugby community over the proposed relocation of Stourbridge RFC and the change of name. 
A department for digital, culture, media and sport statement said it was deeply disappointed at the news. We fully support the RFU and its objective to obtain all necessary information with regards to the club's sustainability and ownership when participating in their competitions, it said. To uh, last weekend's Worcester News, which showed the large banner headline, Fingers Crossed, Artisan Food Hall Hoping for Spring Opening in Former Debenhams After Delayed Payment. Referring us to page three, where there is a photo of the former Debenhams and the subheading of Spring Target for Food Hall. The reason behind delays to transform the four Debenhams into a food hall have been revealed. The Artisan Food Hall says the delay has left 100 jobs and 50 contractors' work at risk, but are still hopeful for a spring opening. The company claims work on the High Street site has ground to a halt because the building owners have not made a final payment for the work. The building owner is an overseas offshore investor managed by a London agent. Artisan Food Hall has been unable to contact it and and Worcester News has also been unable to contact the investor. A spokesman for Artisan Food Hall said, We should be open. It's very frustrating for our team and financially damaging. With over 100 jobs at stake and 50 contractors' works held in the balance, we are keeping our fingers crossed and we will open soon. We are ready for a spring opening, albeit we said that last year. The food hall should be open. The project is fantastic for Worcester. Artisan Food Hall claims, without the final payment, it is unable to complete the work. The spokesperson said, The Artisan Food Hall team are experiencing a significant delay in relation to its opening date. Artisan and the on-site contractors cannot complete the dilapidation works or the owner's infrastructure work without further payments to complete the work on behalf of the building owner an overseas offshore investor managed by a London agent. The first two payments were made in line with the contract. The final payment has never arrived, so we cannot complete the work. Artisan has invested significant capital and management resources into the project since early 2021. Plans sent to the Worcester News by Artisan Food Hall show the project will consist of four floors, each with a unique layout. The ground floor features a bar, as well as areas for baristas, sushi, an Italian deli, a bakery and a variety of other food vendors. The first floor is for Canteen Society which plans to open between Friday and Sunday for pop-up chefs and creators to fill the space. The second floor features a city garden and a space that can be hired for events, 
weddings, parties and gigs every weekend. There will also be a secret door leading to the speakeasy. The basement will be a space for vinyl records, vintage clothing, retro furniture and areas for local vendors. The partners are still under selection and can be finalised once an opening date has been set with the owners of the building. Now the headline article from Monday, February the 13th. I must save my family. Turkish barber flies to help desperate relatives. Defying his mother's warnings, a Turkish barber is travelling to Turkey to save his family who are battling to stay alive. Ismail Yudis, who owns first-class Turkish barbers in Crowngate, is travelling to try to rescue his family who have been badly affected by the earthquakes in Turkey on Monday. His mum is sleeping in the back of a small van with ten other people. His family are forced to huddle around a tiny campfire to fend off sub-freezing temperatures. The death toll from the 7.8 magnitude quake has passed 21,000, reducing thousands of homes and buildings across the south of Turkey and northern Syria to rubble as people slept. Mr Yudit said, My mum said to me, don't come here. We will die and we don't want you to die as well. But to me, that doesn't matter. Loads of people are waiting for help. And if I can move one stone or save one life, it would be worth it. If your parents are not living, that's when a part of you dies. If I die when I am over there, then it is for a good cause. I just want to help. And when I get over there straight away, I will be setting up a tent for my mum and sister so they are safe. Mr Udeets said the first two days after the earthquake was the worst because his family had no food or water. The people with his family are in a shelter with no sides, so keeping them dry from the rain is becoming impossible. He added, My mum called me at 4am a few times. She told me what had happened. You could hear from her voice she was scared and was with the family. The only safe place is outside. There are no words to explain what it is like. Our eyes get watery and we are here, but they are over there. On Monday he will be flying out to Istanbul where he will buy a van, a number of tents, blankets and long-life food and will drive over to Turkey. From his barber's shop, he is currently collecting money to help fund the items he will be buying in Turkey. While in the country, and when he knows his family is safe, he plans to drive to villages where there has not been much support and give them vital survival equipment and medical care. 
Currently, both first-class Turkish barbers in Crowngate and Elgar's coffee shop in Reindeer Court have been collecting money to help buy clothes and blankets for families. First-class Turkish barbers is also taking any clothes or blanket donations. Okay, my next headline is from Tuesday, February the 14th. City Ditches Car Park Meter Company. The City Council has cut ties with the operator of its car park payment machines after last year's overcharging fiasco. Bosses at Worcester City Council have informed Flowbird, which runs the machines on its behalf, that it has terminated its deal after a string of problems, including last year's glitch, which resulted in almost £400,000 being taken in error from more than 15,000 sessions at the 14 council-owned car parks across the city. This meant more than 1,500 drivers were overcharged for parking, with some seeing hundreds of pounds taken from their bank accounts after being charged multiple times. Councillor Chris Mitchell, leader of Worcester City Council, said the payment issues in the last two years meant the council had completely lost confidence with Flowbird to deliver the service. He said, It's a tough decision, but one that had to be made. We've had two instances now in the last two years. The most recent, obviously, where £390,000 was wrongfully taken from people's accounts. Fortunately, that has all gone back. But unfortunately... I think those two significant breaches of contracts have left councillors and officers with no other decision than to part company with Flowbird and to terminate that contract. We've done that with the intent that we will get a better service for residents and visitors to the city, as people have to be able to be confident that when they come into our car parks and put their card against a machine, they will be charged the correct amount of money for the amount of time they are staying. The City Council's reputation as a consequence of Flowbird's failure has been damaged and that's just not acceptable to us. We pay them to deliver a service and they have failed to deliver that service. It's extremely disappointing. Having had the first issue in 2021, we were given assurances that the problem had been resolved. It would not reoccur and we were good to go and accepted that. And then for a similar thing to happen within 12 months meant we just completely lost confidence in them to deliver. The City Council was less than happy with Flowbird's lacklustre response last September, which saw the third-party parking machine operator miss the refund deadline and break its promise to reimburse all those affected. The overcharging fiasco came just a year after Flowbird took payments from drivers more than a month and a half after they'd used the city's car parks. Last week, the Council's Policy and Resources Committee agreed to move to join forces with new supplier Metric, bringing an end to a nightmare pact with Flowbird and its payment partner Elevon. New payment machines, which will see the reintroduction of card payments, which have been suspended since September, will be installed in the coming months. Worcester City Council intends to up the fees at its car parks to help fill a hole of at least £1 million in its budget. And whilst on the subject of parking in the city centre, Wednesday the February the 15th shows a headline of Expansion is on the menu. Restaurant strikes deal with council over car park. 
and again we go to page three where there is a lovely photograph of Benedicto's restaurant uh, with the headline deal is struck over car park an independent restaurant will be allowed to grow in size after striking a deal with the council to sell part of one of the city centre's busiest car parks. Italian restaurant Benedicto's in Sidbury, Worcester, wants to buy a chunk of land at the neighbouring King Street car park to make way for a two-storey extension. Tory council leader Chris Mitchell said he supported helping out a local business and improving an important gateway into the city. But there were some concerns that the disruption in the car park because of the work would put people off visiting. Lib Dem councillor Mel Alcott was worried about shutting part of the car park during the extension work could cause untold damage. Obviously, it's been really tough for the hospitality business and I think all credit to Benedictos for doing well and being in a position to expand, she said. Just thinking about the city, the cathedral is our biggest asset. And we're always looking for tourism and income generation. I just worry the extent and the disruption from our key car park, if you like, will cause longer term untold damage. I think the cathedral is the big pull, and if we're going to disrupt this car park, I just don't want to see a situation where we see so much damage that those people don't come back or puts them off. I think it is more of a risk than we have given consideration to. Councillor Mitchell said, It is a gateway to the city. We've seen the development on the building across the side, which looks fantastic and is lifting that area. But, and I think it can only be an enhancement to that entrance to the city. I understand there's going to be some disruption. It's quite hilarious that someone who is concerned about parking is happy to raise the parking charges, but doesn't want to move some cars around. It's disruption but you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. Worcester City Council's Policy and Resources Committee agreed to the sale of just over 100 square metres of the 108-bay car park at a meeting in the Guildhall on February the 7th. But a planning application will still need to be approved for the work to go ahead and for the land deal to be signed off. The year-long work at the listed building would add up to 70 more covers as part of an extension to the restaurant's kitchen, dining area and bar and cafe. A total of 18 spaces would be shut for the whole year during the work and another six spaces would be lost for at least a month when the payment machines are moved. Eventually, two parking spaces will be lost. And my headline from today, Thursday, February the 16th. Teenagers are robbed in park. Boys assaulted and a knife held to their throats. And this article is accompanied by two pictures of Battenhall Park, 
where the incident took place. Grassland surrounded by a cycle path and, quite ironically, a Welcome to Battenhall Park sign. Two teenagers were held at knife point and robbed of their phones as they walked across a Worcester Park. The 14-year-old boys were walking home across Battenhall Park when two unknown males assaulted them and held a knife to their throats before making them hand over their phones. Shocked residents said they had been left feeling unsettled, adding it was rare for such incidents to take place in Battenhall. The robbery took place on Tuesday at 9.40pm. Pat Gething, who has lived on Battenhall Rise near the park for 30 years, said, I'm shocked to hear that, and I have lived here for a very long time. The most we've had is children rifling through the cars, but that's about it, and we have security cameras now. Several other residents had heard of the incident after it was widely circulated on several community Facebook groups. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, At around 9.40pm on Tuesday, February the 14th, two teenage boys were walking home across Battenhall Park in Worcester when they were approached by two unknown males who assaulted them and held a knife to their throats and made them both hand over their phones. The unknown males took the mobile phones and then walked off in the direction of Tesco in St Peter's in Worcester. The two boys were not injured. The two offenders are described by the victims as one white man and one Asian man. Officers are continuing to make enquiries and are examining CCTV footage. Right, now sport, and we'll ask our sport reporter, Richard, for an article or two from this week. The first article I'm delighted to read, uh, which comes from uh, Thursday the 16th, about Worcestershire's Haynes impresses. Worcestershire batter Jack Haynes played a pivotal role in helping England Lions win their one-day international series opener against Sri Lanka A in Colombo. Haynes was part of an opening stand of 69 in just 11.1 overs, with Jacob Bethel as the Lions pursued a 231 target. He had been added to the squad for the white ball leg of the tour along with Worcestershire teammate Josh Tung after both had made their Lions debut in the two-match test series over the last month. He struck successive boundaries off Pramod Madrushan in the fifth over and collected another two in the ninth over, bowled by Shamika Karunaratni. The initial 10-over power play visited six, yielded 64 runs to put the Lions well ahead of the required scoring rate. Haynes made 25 from 28 balls before slow left armour Praveen Yawikrama bowled him. 
Bethel was eventually dismissed for 50, and then Sam Hain, 54, and Jordan Cox, 46, ensured victory was completed with 9.4 overs to spare. Haynes had earlier taken two catches, including Sahan Arakikiga of the bowling of Saqib Mahmood, as Sri Lanka recovered from 25 for four to reach 230 all-out in 45.1 overs after choosing to bat. And another one from Richard. Yeah. Oh. Yes, We're working him hard this yes, week, everybody. More, more good news for Worcestershire sport. Uh, on February the 13th, we find that Worcester Wolves edge flyers. Worcester Wolves celebrated a narrow 71-67 success at Bristol Academy Flyers on Saturday after eventually emerging on the winning side of an up-and-down thriller. As the third quarter of the contest came towards a close, the two sides were locked at 50-50 before Worcester were the team able to find enough to wrestle control. With starters Matai Baltanu and Lucas McGregor having their minutes reduced by foul trouble, backups Ariane Davudi and Umberto Ferreira grabbed their chance to step into the limelight. The former led the scoring with 16 points, while the latter holds down an impressive 10 rebounds. Wilfred Santha made a welcome return from injury to lay on early scores for Baltanu and McGregor, restricting Bristol to a 14-13 first quarter edge. Isaiah Walker twice connected from distance in a 21-21 tie and Davoudi approached double-figure points for a 31-31 scoreboard as half-time neared. A Davoudi three-pointer tipped his tally to a dozen before Flyers once more squared the evening at 34-34, entering the interval. Later in the third period, Ferreira dispossessed his attacker at mid-court and rumbled forward to break yet another stalemate. A Liam Langridge Barker triple and a Baltino basket nudged Wolves 55-50 in front. McGregor froze defenders with a hesitation layup and sliced past the same players to establish 64-54 daylight with six minutes remaining. Another perimeter score from Langridge Barker, one from Santi and a demoralising Walker rejection was sufficient to keep Bristol at bay. Walker just missed out on a double-double performance after snatching nine rebounds to sit alongside his 15 points. Thank you, Richard. Well, now, in recent months, we've not had many readers' letters to read to you. However... This week, we seem to have hit the jackpot. So we've each got some readers' letters for you now. I'll start off, and the heading here is Road Closures Cause Trouble. The first letter is from Christopher Smith of Redditch. Dear Editor, most people would agree 
that highway workers need to be as safe as can be. Mr Liam Smith is entitled to work without threat, harassment or injury. He does mention the frustration of drivers as a possible factor. Most of my frustration is caused the totally mismanaged method of putting road closures in place. The modern method is for different teams to install traffic controls in advance of the repair team. This often means that the road is shut prematurely, sometimes for days, awaiting the workers. The process is reversed. I have observed road restrictions that have stretched over three weeks when the work involved has taken just two days. I did telephone the highways department at Worcester Council on one occasion. They told me that the men might be down a hole. This was quite worrying as the site was deserted for many days. I did inquire about the street works legislation that was meant to control such matters. It seems that there is general agreement that frustration may be a contributing factor to the impatience complained of. One part of the solution might be to manage road closures more effectively and more efficiently. And my colleague Richard is nodding with some violence. Now a section that they've just introduced and it's called Have Your Say when there are just brief snippets of letters which have been sent to them on a particular subject. And we start off with Worcestershire-born Harry Styles won all four Brit Awards he was nominated for on Saturday night. He gave a shout-out to fellow county star Becky Hill, who also won a Brit, and thanked his One Direction bandmates. On our Facebook page, you said, and this is from Maggie Woolsey, only Harry and Sam Ryder were articulate in their thank-you speech. Thought the show was a shambles. Mind you, Sam Capaldi was good. Fiona Williams says, it was lovely he thanked his mum. Sarah Farrell said, well done, Harry. Seen him perform live. Fabulous. Our story about parents having to pick up poo before football matches at the home of Lee and Bransford Badgers girls under 15s also caused a stir. Peter Lamb said, there's more to this than picking up poo. It's about where you let your dog do that in its as it's a football pitch. About time dog owners licensed again, with income used to clean up the considerable mess and damage caused. Tanya Cheatham said, As a coach, I've picked up plenty of poo from many pitches before a match. Unfortunately, bags are as necessary to your kit as the bibs and the cones. Karen Hobson says, Doesn't matter where your dog goes, you should clean it up. This is probably the same people that think the please keep your dog on a lead signs don't apply to them either. I'm sick of these dog owners giving all of us a bad name. And lastly, Charles Clapham. No surprise, even with signs and bin provided, it won't change. The type of owners to leave the poo in the first place are doing so because they're too lazy to pick it up. 
gives the responsible dog owners a bad name. Now, Moira, the letters from your page. Okay, so my first letter is from Karen Jones. We organised a Queen's Platinum Jubilee street party last year in our road, Gromont Avenue, Barclay, Haywood, Worcester. It was such a great success within our local neighbourhood, allowing some families the opportunity to meet for the first time. It was a lot of fun. I was later contacted by a lovely lady, Lisa Smith, at Worcester Council, to see if we would like to have a tree planted as part of the Queen's Green Canopy. This is a nationwide initiative created to mark the Platinum Jubilee and the living legacy of our amazing Queen. We chose a pear tree to incorporate the significance within our city of Worcester. We planted our tree in a green space on Gromont Avenue on Saturday, January the 28th, 2023 and celebrated with a small neighbours get-together. It is now in place for the local community to watch it grow and hopefully to enjoy the fruit in the coming years. My next letter is from Colin Tunstall. Dear Editor, First we are told that nurses turn to food banks in order to supplement their income. Then these same nurses, we understand, need to feed on scraps of food left over by patients in hospital in their fight for better paying conditions. Now we are led to believe that starving school children are stealing food from supermarkets in order to survive. In my experience, I can honestly say I've yet to witness suspicious-looking school children posing as Dickensian street urchins, scurrying from supermarkets clutching their five-a-day essentials. Chocolate bars, bags of crisps, etc. Now that's a different matter. To anyone who grew up in the 40s when there were real food shortages and rationing, the growth of food banks today beggars belief. Offer something for free and you'll get takers. Uh, next letter is from Councillor Chris Mitchell. Dear Editor, in your article Businesses on Cliff Edge Without Help, dated Tuesday, February the 8th, your article states that the Liberal Democrats are calling for the government to provide more support for businesses. Words are easy, actions harder. A WCC Policy and Resources Committee, the only person who voted against providing support for local businesses, Benedicto's Restaurant, the sale of a small piece of council land at market value to enable the business to expand, was Councillor Mel Alcott. You actually quote her as saying, far too many of our local businesses are facing significant challenges this year. With workforce shortages and significant rises in energy costs, our cafes, pubs and restaurants will continue to struggle. She clearly had a change of mind in the last 24 hours. And there's a letter here, but there's no um, credit for who's actually um, written the article or, or letter. Um, it says the owners at East Bank Court in Worcester held a raffle and managed to raise £402, which has been donated to Worcester Wheels. They provide vital community transport services for people living in the city and nearby rural villages who find it difficult or impossible to access other forms of transport. Entering into the spirit of Tuesday, February 14, we have a letter from Sandra Loins, the Branch Secretary of Worcester District Lodge Oddfellows, which is a friendly society, a non-profit group which hosts regular active and social events across Worcester and Stourport on Seven. Romance is great, 
But it's not the only way to make you feel more energised and valued. When it comes to feeling loved and emotionally supported, forging strong friendships can help us to feel more fulfilled and satisfied with life. Valentine's Day always tends to focus on romance and grand gestures, but it is important to remember that love comes in many forms and is needed for more than just one day of the year. Friendships can be just as rewarding as romantic relationships and can support good mental health and well-being. It's why we are always so passionate about championing the vast benefits of the company's spending time with good friends, as well as providing us with social experiences that lift our spirits, friendships offer a vital support network for when times get tough, prevents loneliness, and perhaps most importantly, help individuals recognise their own self-worth. We say come and have a lovely time with us at one of our meetings. A warm welcome is waiting. Worcester District Lodge, Oddfellows of Friendship Group, has more than 300 local members, mainly older adults. It meets regularly for social get-togethers and offers support and advice when members might need it. To find out more about the Worcester District Oddfellows, or to find out about other upcoming events, contact Sandra Loynes on 01905422591 or email sandra.loynes, which is spelt L-O-Y-N-E-S, at oddfellows.co.uk. Further information about the Oddfellows can be found at www.oddfellows.co.uk. And a letter from Councillor Mel Alcott. Businesses have my full support. Dear Editor, with a right to reply on Councillor Chris Mitchell's inaccurate unprovoked attack on how I voted at Worcester City Council's Policy and Resource Committee. The agenda item was in relation to the sale of land, including part of the King Street car park, not support, it, not support through council funding. The King Street car park is situated next to what I, plus many other people, see as the major tourist attraction of the city, Worcester Cathedral. Worcester Cathedral is a place of worship, famous for its architecture, which was built between 1084 and 1504, and the final resting place of King John and Prince Arthur. It is also the, uh, the venue for prestigious musical events and ceremonies, including the University of Worcester Graduation Week. On March 18, the Worcester Festival Choral Society will be performing The Dream of Gerontius, widely regarded as one of Elgar's most thrilling masterpieces. Crowds will be drawn in from near and far. Bearing in mind the importance of tourism and visitors to the city, I wanted to highlight the damage and disruption the works may cause to current and future tourism. The P&R report estimates 12 months of disruption to the car park 
whilst the work takes place with a significant number of car park spaces taken out. I knew my vote would make no difference to the overall decision, so I used it to press home awareness, plus the importance of minimising the disruption and negative effects to tourism the works will cause. Many of us have visited tourist locations only to be disrupted when building works are underway. It is important the City Council does all it can to mitigate if it does grant planning permission. I am delighted to see Benedictos plus many local hospitality businesses who, in spite of the pandemic and government policy, remain trading and smiling. Signed, Councillor Mel Alcott, City and County Councillor, McLean's Parliamentary Spokesperson. Right, so now on to the general articles from the week and our guest reader, Annabelle. And Annabelle is going to start proceedings with an article about plants in the university campus. Annabelle. Plants to bloom on university campus. Thousands of woodland flowers have been planted at the University of Worcester as a part of a project to increase biodiversity on campus. Students from the university's Environmental Management and Sustainability course joined staff to help plant 4,500 bulbs and 300 plants at the university's St John's campus. These were a mixture of English bluebells, wild garlic, wild daffodils, wood anemone and primroses. They were planted in two designated areas under existing woodland canopies. Jodie Franklin, first year, student on the course, said, I think it's good to be planting these at its increasing the biodiversity on campus. It puts what we have been learning into practice and hopefully will help the wildlife. Also, it's important for the university to lead the way on sustainability as it sets an example to the students. Staff leading the project marked out areas for planting in a mosaic of patches for the different species, with scatterings of plants between these to create a more natural look. It will take at least a year for the plants to find their feet, but they should be flowering next spring. The project was made possible with a grant from the Natural Networks Programme, which is funded by the European Regional Development Fund, along with further funds from the University. Principal Lecturer in Eco Ecology and Environmental Management, Dr Duncan Westbury, who superheaded the project, said, It is highly unlikely that these species would, be, would ever establish naturally from a, the surrounding area, so we have given nature a helping hand to boost biodiversity in our mini woodlands. The long-term vision is for carpets of bluebells, wild garlic and other plants, providing vital habitat for a range of insects, birds and small mammals. This will also give the university students, staff and visitors the opportunity to immerse themselves in nature as winter turns to spring. This is the latest in a number of biodiversity initiatives at the university. Students and staff created a new wildflower area at the St John's campus in March last year one of several wildflowers areas on the site. The schemes have seen the introduction of bee hotels, bird and bat boxes and a hedgehog box. Councillor Richard Morris, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member for the Environment, said, I'm delighted to hear about the work of the University on Worcester, of Worcester doing to boost diversity on campus. Through our partnership with the, with the University of Worcester, the Natural Networks Programme funding has enabled us to provide, cultivate and restore rich wildlife habitats. I'm really looking forward to seeing how the programme will continue to help things to develop further and allow us to welcome wildlife to Worcestershire for many years to come. 
And another article also from Annabelle. New boss at the helm of hospice, St Richard's Hospice. A new chief executive has joined St Richard's Hospice following the retirement of June Patel. Mike Wilkinson joined St Richard's from St Catherine's Hospice in North Yorkshire, where he has been chief executive for the last eight years. He has extensive experience of working in palliative and end-of-life care, with previous roles at Rotherham Hospice and St Wilfrid's Hospice in West Sussex. The new chief executive and his wife, Alison, have moved to Worcester and is looking forward to leading the hospice team of 240 staff and 658 active volunteers from the hospice in Wildwood Drive, Worcester. It's a pleasure and a privilege to join the team. St Richard's is a fantastic modern hospice in a beautiful environment and I'm looking forward to being a part of the team that delivers excellent care and support to our patients and families, said Mr Wilkinson. He added, We are privileged to hear from many patients, families and health professionals of the huge difference that our care makes at such difficult times. In the future, we will continue to build on the best services we offer, whether that is in hospice, in people's own homes or in the community. After just a couple of weeks in post, I can see the fantastic support from the people of Worcestershire whose generosity makes all this possible. It's heartwarming to see how much St Richard's is valued and respected in the community. Chair of St Richard's Governors, Jenny Corp, said, We are delighted that Mike has taken up his post at our new Chief Executive, leading our dedicated and highly respected team. His experience will help share, shape continuous improvements in the quality of care that the hospice provides for more than 3,100 patients, loved ones and bereaved people each year in our community. Thank you, Annabelle. And I'm sure our listeners will be interested to know that Annabelle is a student from the Worcester Sixth Form College and has been working here at Colin Chance House since last autumn, cataloguing, updating, doing everything to regularise our recorded offerings and doing everything to make the place more comfortable. We are so grateful to us to her and we're very very pleased that she could join us this evening to read to you thank you very much annabelle my first general article then is very relevant to our purpose here it's headed blind face obstacles daily the leader of a sight loss charity has spoken of the challenges and dangers facing blind people in the city centre, including the risk of injury. We reported last week how Rachel Foylan, who is registered blind, had to navigate an assault course every time she went out in Worcester city centre. She fought back tears as she described obstacles and hazards and how she fears she or others will be hurt or killed. Obstacles include A-boards, people on scooters and bikes, and tables and chairs for alfresco dining, which the 69-year-old of Chatcombe Drive, Warnden, believes has increased since the pandemic. Anne Eyre, Chief Executive Officer of Sight Concern, Worcestershire, based in the Bradbury Centre, Sansom Walk, said, Rachel's challenges when out and about are experienced by many other blind or partially sighted people on a daily basis. 
A recent national survey found that 30% of people with a vision impairment had been injured by walking into street furniture in the last 12 months. For example, we recently spoke to a blind person who had walked into a large hazard sign warning drivers about ice which had been placed in the middle of the pavement. This very nearly resulted in her falling into one of the busiest roads in Worcester. Parked cars and wheelie bins also made pavements impassable. We know people walk into wheelie bins which are left in the middle of the pavement when they have been emptied. We even heard from one man who walked into a charging cable for an electric vehicle which was suspended across the pavement, making it impossible to pick it up with a guide cane. Currently, a particular concern to the people we work with are shared pedestrian and cycle routes. One person told us how they had collided with a cyclist and then were told it was their fault for not moving out of the way of a cycle they could not see. However, she also said Site Concern recognised the challenges faced by the hospitality and retail sectors and welcomes a vibrant city centre. It is important that cafe culture is welcoming to all, rather than creating an assault course for the nearly 3,500 blind or partially sighted people living in Worcester. Simple steps, such as always putting street furniture in the same place, ensuring that there is a clear and wide thoroughfare, and being considerate of others when cycling, using scooters and parking make a huge difference. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council, said, We would like to thank Rachel for reporting the difficulties she's encountered in Worcester City Centre and would like to liaise with her further on this. We will also arrange for an officer to undertake a site visit within Worcester City and inspect the areas highlighted that are not privately owned to ensure any safety issues are dealt with accordingly. We work closely with our partners in Worcestershire to ensure that we address all safety issues while balancing our open for business priorities. Okay. A skate park by the Hive is proposed. A skate park in front of the Hive is just one of the many ideas people have suggested for the future of outdoor play in the city. Talks are still underway about the future of Worcester's outdoor parks and play areas as part of a strategic play area consultation launched in the new year. Residents have so far suggested a skate park by the Hive and a play area stroke football pitch on Windermere Drive in Warndon. As previously reported, Worcester City Council urging residents to voice their opinions on play areas for children and social spaces for young people in a bid to find out where people would like to see better space for play or socialising. One resident said, there is space in front of the flats on Windermere for a play area football area for children in the area. They are persistently playing football in an enclosed area behind the flats where ball games are not allowed. 
This results in broken fences and generally degrades the area. If children and young people are going to be housed in flats, then provision should be made for play and outdoor activities. Another resident said, There are no parks near the St Clement's Ward, with the exception of Gelavelt, once the new bridge has been built. We have to drive to a park, as the half an hour walk in each direction with small children isn't achievable. Another response to the consultation read, It would be great to make some more outdoor space available to St George's CE Primary School. Currently, they have a very small patch of grass and can't undertake nurturing activities like forest school. Would it be possible to find some land in Gellivelt Park or by the community garden down by the racecourse, for example, that could be made safe for the school to use? One respondent wrote, I personally think it would be a great idea to put a skate park by the hive as a place for younger adults and children to have a place in the city centre to practice and learn new tricks and skills. Our current facilities are too far away from the centre or are quite literally falling apart and decaying. I've always looked at the grassy land underneath the footbridge to the hive as being an excellent place for some sort of street plaza that would be enjoyable for people to stand and watch people skating about, a bit like Southbank Skate Park in London. The sentiments were echoed in another response which read... The amount of skaters that use Cathedral Square is annoying, but you can't blame them. Using it as their only option is Purdy's Bar, which is quite a distance away. An online consultation is now open, where people can use an interactive map of Worcester to make their views known. So go to www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash voice it. The consultation will run until the end of February 2023. Another article which I'm sure you'll all identify with quite readily is uh, headlined A Barrier of Missing Bus. Elderly people are feeling isolated because of poor bus service to an area at the outskirts of the city. Many older residents in Clanes are experiencing loneliness because they struggle to travel to socialise as a result of what they claim is an inconsistent bus service. Currently, the bus from Clanes runs every hour and ceases in the evening and on Sundays. Councillor Mel Alcott has set up a petition to help tackle isolation and improve the situation she says many residents are in. The petition calls for a more reliable and regular bus service, increased bus shelters to protect vulnerable people from the elements and the reassessment of where the bus stops are. Jesse Venegas-Garcia, an activist for improving the bus service in Clanes, has experienced firsthand the difficulties of catching a bus in the area. She said she finds it easier walking into Worcester because it is quicker than waiting, but knows this is not a possibility for everyone. She said, we are creating a barrier for a lot of people. There was one lady who felt very isolated and the only people she spoke to were at church on a Sunday. She can only make it to church twice a month as she relies on saving up money to get a taxi when she can afford it. She told me if I had a bus service I could rely on I would not feel as isolated. So far nearly 100 people have signed the petition. 
Councillor Mel Alcott said, I set up the petition because there is a high level of residents concerned about bus provisions. The first bus service ceased and Diamond Bus has encompassed uh, us into their timetable. People want a better, more reliable service and are concerned about being isolated. I really want the council to take notice of the poor bus service in Clains and proactively do something. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council said, there was a good opportunity to raise any concerns about Worcester's bus services at the Bus Travel Task Force hosted at The Hive in December. I continue to try and work constructively with all councillors on this topic. The underlying issue remains a lower level of demand since the pandemic, with between 30 to 50% fewer people using the buses. My article is headed, Arrest After Gang Attack, and it is accompanied by a large photograph of the junction between St Swithin Street and High Street. A 20-year-old man has been arrested after a man was assaulted by a group in Worcester City Centre. The man was arrested on suspicion of wounding with intent after police responded to a report of a dispute on the High Street on Saturday, February the 4th. An injured man had to be taken to hospital following the assault. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, On Saturday, February the 4th, at around 7.30pm, police responded to a report of a dispute in High Street, Worcester, between a man and a group, which resulted in the man being assaulted. Shortly after the report, a 20-year-old was arrested on suspicion of wounding with intent. Officers are continuing with their inquiries and viewing CCTV footage. The injured man was taken to hospital. The Worcester News was contacted by a local business owner on St Swithin Street who wished to remain anonymous following the incident. They claimed that the attack was eight versus one and was surprised police had not asked their business for CCTV. They said the attack was by the Greggs on the corner of St Swithin Street and High Street. It was terrible. There were about eight of them all attacking one man. They were punching this man and stamping on his head. I'm incredibly surprised that the police have not come to us and asked to view CCTV. It just doesn't seem right at all. The business owner claimed that they had spoken to the police previously about antisocial behaviour issues in the city centre. They said, we have spoken to police about antisocial behaviour incidents in the past and they have told us about banning orders and warnings, but often it seems they are restricted due to the ages of those involved. As a local business owner, it is really concerning, as we want the area to be safe and attractive for customers. But if there are incidents like this, people will not want to visit the city centre. Worcester has a rapidly changing skyline 
with a modern development now looming large over the city. Sheriff's Gate is climbing higher, changing forever the skyline of Worcester as it looms over Sheriff Street and Tolladine Road. Looking from Tolladine Road, the new building forms a sheer canyon over the main road, perched on its high vantage point near the railway bridge. Worcester may not have a skyline to rival the sheer beauty of the dreaming spires of Oxford. Yet, with Worcester Cathedral, St Andrew's Spire, The Hive, Cripplegate House, Hennick House and Severn House in St John's, and the much maligned Elgar House, it already has a distinctive outline which is instantly recognisable to those who know the city well. However, a new structure has now taken its place in the city and is changing the skyline forever. The £150 million Sheriff's Gate project is transforming the look and feel of the city. The buildings which form part of the development are now visible for miles around and there's a photograph that is proving that point. The site itself is a hive of activity with the sound of machinery echoing over the surrounding streets and a large crane towering over the, rise the high rise structure. Contractors in hard hats and high visibility tabards can be seen working away on the scaffolding which entirely envelops the structure. When completed, the development will include hundreds of new apartments, a hotel, gym, multi-storey car park and shops for food and drink, as well as a multi-screen cinema. Built as one of the largest mixed-use developments ever to be undertaken in Worcester, the project will create 650 homes. The Elliott Group has been working on the structure as the main contractor of the residential apartment development within Phase 1. When work began last summer, Stannard Harrison from Worcester Bay Sheriff's Gate Development said, When complete, the £150 million investment in the revival of the city Shrub Hill area will comprise hundreds of new apartments, including affordable housing, a hotel, a gym, multi-storey car park, food and beverage outlets, and a multi-screen cinema and 10-pin bowling. This huge project is a significant boost to the local economy, bringing hundreds of jobs to the city and providing much-needed housing for the people of Worcester and the opportunity for local people to get on the freehold ladder. Now to some really happy news. Well, underneath a picture of Julie Jones is a headline which says honour at nomination. A Worcester primary school teacher has been left stunned by an award nomination. Julie Jones, Year 4 teacher at St Clement's Church of England, is in the running for the Teacher of the Year Award at the Worcestershire Education Awards. Mrs Jones has taught at the school for 12 years and has never received anything like this before. She said, Teaching is an absolute vocation, not just a job. We don't do it for recognition, but to be nominated for something like this is just so wonderful. I feel so honoured to be nominated and privileged to be in this position. I'm lucky to work with such lovely people and fantastic children. Mrs Jones started at the school 12 years ago, initially working just one day a week as a Level 2 teaching assistant while her own children were young. 
I originally achieved a degree in business studies, but after having my own children, soon realised my passion was in maturing children and seeing them learn and develop, she added. I ran a volunteer toddler group for five years and volunteered in my school's children's school before deciding on this path. I thoroughly love my job, being part of a child's learning journey, mentoring trainee teachers and being part of an academy where children love, children's love of learning is a priority. Five years ago, she took the assessment-only route to become a fully-fledged teacher. Last year, she carried out a Certificate of Informed Practice with the Chartered College of Teaching, and she is now completing a National Professional Qualification in Leading Teaching Development. Mrs Jones added, I, of course, want to thank my wonderful colleagues, some of whom are now lifelong friends. I also need to thank my husband and three children, as they have done nothing but support me in this journey. St Clement's Primary School is a very child-focused and warm environment to be in, and I'm lucky to work with such supportive colleagues. The Worcestershire Education Awards, in partnership with the University of Worcester, has 12 categories and runs across all of our Worcestershire titles, the Worcester News, Morven Gazette, Evesham Journal, Bromsgrove and Droitwich Advertiser, Redditch Advertiser and Kidderminster Shuttle. The closing date for nominations is Monday, February the 13th. Thank you, Richard. Regular listeners to the talking newspaper will remember my preference for the articles on the history of parts of Worcester and this one is no exception get a ticket to ride at the coaching inn and the article is illustrated by a number of photographs early ones and modern ones on Broad Street in Worcester not sure whether the American actor Mark Hamill Luke Skywalker Skywalker in Star Wars has ever been to Worcester but his famous quote about everything changes but nothing changes could certainly apply to catching a train here for in the sleepy days of horse-drawn transport if you wanted to board a fast loco to London you had to trot out to Spetchley station now, in the era of electric cars and mobile phones, you might need to make a similar length journey to Worcester Parkway at Norton. Mind you, the comfort of the trip has improved a bit, and the travel time. In the mid-1800s, the place to purchase a train ticket to London was the Crown Hotel in Broad Street, one of the city's traditional coaching inns. On the left of the entrance yard was a semicircular window from where passengers could not only pay their rail fare, but also buy an essential horse omnibus ticket to get them out to Spetchley. From 1840 until 1850, 
it was necessary to use that lumbering conveyance when making a rail journey from Worcester. And with 15 people huddled together for the best part of an hour's tedious jolting, it was not a comfortable experience, even among friends. Horse buses continued to meet the down night mail until January 1851. In fact, the use of Spetchley as a station for Worcester continued until 1940, for the Birmingham to Bristol night train unloaded mail for Worcester there. After that, it ran via Shrub Hill. Facilities in Spetchley station, long since demolished, included offices, houses for some of the staff, stables for ten horses, waiting rooms and a refreshment room. Born of necessity, the horse-drawn coach connection was extensively used and in 1844 alone, when Worcester's population was less than 17,000, 78,372 passengers were carried. Meanwhile, the crown in Broad Street still survives, although in somewhat altered form. Its handsome William IV lamps remain outside, but the legendary men-only room, the go-to watering hole for alpha males or wannabe alpha males in the decades following World War II, is no more. As I once discovered, says Mike Price, it could generate a fairly intimidating atmosphere for a young reporter. In its heyday, the Crown was the perfect coaching inn. It was blessed with a dignified exterior, a large coach yard and stables, the ticket office, commercial rooms and a glee room at the rear with an 18th century atmosphere. Worcester Glee Club was founded there in 1810 and became one of several such clubs in the city. It was a successful venture too, and John Sims Reeves, the county's leading tenor of the Victorian era, sang there. However, the great days came when Edward Elgar founded the Glee Club Orchestra and composed for it. At the centenary concert on April the 23rd, 1910, there were 220 members and the orchestra comprised violins, viola, cello, bass, flute, clarinet, cornet and piano. Not bad for a pub band. <laughs> right, slight change in tone now, I'm afraid. A 51-year-old drunk addict who caused pandemonium at a city petrol station stared down at the floor of a courtroom as he was told he would be sent to jail. John Copson of Lansdowne Road, Worcester, knew going back to prison was a possibility for him, turning up to Worcester Magistrates Court with a large bag in preparation. John Copson previously admitted threatening to hit someone over the head with a Prosecco bottle and using racist abuse in the incident at Tesco, Express in London Road on October the 8th last year. As previously reported, Copson went into the store on his push bike, blocking the entrance for customers. 
Copson dipped his hands in an ice cream tub and was eating and drinking from it before being asked by staff if he was going to pay. Copson then took a bottle of Prosecco and held it above his head, threatening to hit staff member Jake Pinder Hampton. After being dragged out of the store on his bike, Copson called staff members fat and used racist abuse against them. Copson also shouted, I'm not scared of prison, I will go back, before throwing a fire extinguisher. Staff were so frightened they locked the store to prevent him coming back in. Mark Hamling said Mr Pinderhampton felt intimidated by Copson's erratic behaviour in the prolonged incident. He added Copson has a substantial list of previous convictions and served prison sentences. Mark Turnbull, defending, said On the day of the offence, Copson was on a methadone script and collected diazepam from the doctors. He took some. He didn't feel it had any effect on him, so he took some more. Mr Turnbull said suggesting that helped explain Copson's offending that day. The solicitor highlighted that although Copson used racist language, there was no one around at the time from an ethnic minority. The solicitor added he has little recollection of the incident. He is disappointed to find himself in court again. He doesn't understand what his crime was about or what the point of it was. Copson was sentenced for racially, religiously aggravated harassment, alarm, distress by words, writing, threatening a person with an offensive weapon in a public place, assault and using threatening, abusive, insulting words and behaviour causing harassment, alarm and distress. Chairman of Magistrates Bench Judith Holland told Copson he was jailed for 26 weeks. After Copson was told he would also pay a £120 fine and a £154 victim surcharge, Copson asked, can I go now? before magistrates agreed he could be taken down. And now a story fairly close to my heart. We're underneath a picture of flooding of Seven Stoke during a flood. At long last, as a headline says, £1.8 million for a defence. Work is underway on £1.8 million flood defences to protect a flood-hit village. The Environment Agency is carrying out pre-construction work for a flood alleviation scheme in Seven Stoke to protect houses and businesses. Seven Stoke was flooded as recently as last month. The flood alleviation scheme will provide better protection from the devastating impact of flooding to 18 homes and businesses. This includes the Grade 2 listed 14th century St Denise Church, the 500-year-old Rose and Crown pub and the Village Hall. It is being developed in partnership with Worcestershire County Council and Morven Hills District Council. It will also better protect the nearby A38, preventing disruption to the busy Trunk Road and the adjacent 7 Trent Water Pumping Station. Work will soon start on the final site clearance necessary to allow the flood embankment to be built. Approximately 60 trees will be removed before the the nesting season begins and 20 nesting boxes are being installed to provide alternative nesting space for birds and a further 20 for bats. Mark Liddeth, 
Environment Agency Manager for Shropshire and Worcestershire said, The flood embankment scheme is a much-needed development for Severnstoke to better protect properties from the devastation of flooding. The removal of some trees in the area is necessary to enable us to start work on the embankment. We will be planting six times as many trees as we are removing across the area and ensuring birds have nesting boxes for the spring. We are also removing the trees in sections so as not to damage any habitats, such as those of the great crested newt. The Environment Agency will be planting 360 trees in the Malvern District area as compensation for the loss of trees on site. The scheme will also incorporate a pollinator corridor along the dry side of the embankment and place bird and bat boxes throughout the scheme area. This phase of the scheme also includes an archaeological investigation on the site which is currently taking place. Earlier investigations found evidence of a medieval settlement in the field south of St Denis Church, including roof tiles, pots, stoneware and fabric. Councillor Richard Morris, Worcestershire County Council's Cabinet Member for Environment, said, Worcestershire County Council continues to actively support the Environment Agency and the Seventh Stoke community in their delivery of this scheme. Further reducing the risk of flooding is a priority for this council and this is an important part of a wide-ranging programme of activity to do so. There have been reports recently in Worcester News of the possible closure of a much-valued school. And this article reflects on the fallout from that and how people are beginning to fight back. School starts to fight back. Devastated parents have launched a campaign to keep a Worcestershire school from closing. Aberley Hall School, an award-winning prep school near Great Whitley, faces closure by the end of the academic year if it does not find additional funding. The school has suffered significant financial losses in recent years and has now lost the support of Malvern College. Abberley Hall joined the Malvern College family of schools in September 2019 and has been receiving grant and loan finance from Malvern College for the past three years. A petition launched on the website actionstorm.org says the whole community of Abberley Hall School, staff, pupils, parents and local businesses are devastated by the proposed closure of Tatler Magazine's Best Prep School of the Year 2022. If this happened, it would bring to an end over 100 years of unique and groundbreaking education which has benefited thousands of children. We, the undersigned, request that the Governing Council of Malvern College do not call in the £1 million grant given to the school in 2019. We ask that Malvern College Council honour the spirit in which the grant was given and in doing so give Abberley Hall a true opportunity to continue as a sustainable business. Some shared their personal experiences of the school, with one person saying, both my children started their education here, we moved here for this school, there is nothing quite like it anywhere else. 
A Malvern College spokesperson said, We empathise wholeheartedly with the depth of feeling about the future of Aberley Hall and the Malvern College Council is working very closely with the Aberley Hall Board of Governors and the Aberley Hall Parent Group in a combined effort to support an ongoing future for the school. The council continues to go to great lengths to support Abberley Hall's future, whilst bearing in mind its duties as trustees of the Malvern College charity. The funding that has been made available to Abberley Hall now totals £4 million. Combined efforts are being made to agree further loans from Malvern College, together with a realistic repayment plan that can meet the needs of both charities. First, subject to sufficient fundraising by the Abberley Hall community and a clear operating plan for the way forward, Malvern College is committed to providing a further £0.5 million of financial support for the academic year starting September 2023. Secondly, Malvern College has outlined a plan for the total funding to date that ensures no repayments of any type are made until August the 1st, 2024, and repayments can be spread over a number of years. Residents and councillors are concerned about what they believe is an increase in crime in a village near Worcester. Councillor Linda Robinson, Worcestershire County Councillor for Upton Snodsbury, said she is seeing more people worried about crime. She praised the work of police but wonders if more can be done to allay residents' fears. She said, We are concerned, I think, there seems to be either be rising local crime or we are perhaps just seeing more cases merging as a lot of it gets shared on social media now and at parish council meetings. I think the, think of the police do great work and the smart water scheme is a really good deterrent, but I just wonder if more could be done. Across my division, I'm seeing more people worried about crimes such as catalytic converter thefts and sentimental items being stolen. It is a concern and I think people need to be reassured that the police are available when called upon. An Upton Snodsbury resident who wished to remain anonymous also expressed concern over the safety of the village. They said on social media I'm seeing a lot of people sharing CCTV footage and reports of people setting off alarms in the early hours of the morning and suspicious people spotted in the area. The village used to feel like a relatively safe place to live but people now seem to be more vigilant and concerned over thefts and burglaries. There are now overnight police patrols that are going to be intensified with this priority in mind and I would ask that any suspicious activity and crimes in progress are reported via 101 or 999. Well now we've come to the end of this week's edition and I hope you've enjoyed our offerings. My thanks as usual go to Moira, to Richard, to Alex and also to Annabelle, our guest for this week. Our good wishes go to you and I hope you'll return next week to hear the next edition of Worcester Talking Newspaper. So from all of us, it's goodbye. 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 The first obituary this uh, week is regarding Margaret Fletcher. Passed away peacefully at home on the 17th of January, aged 87 years. A funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Chapel 
on Thursday the 23rd of February at 2.30pm, followed by a private burial and committal at Heaton Cemetery, Bolton, on 24th of February. Family flowers only, please. Elizabeth Margaret Wilkes, known as Betty, passed away peacefully at home Sunday the 22nd of January 2023, aged 76. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 1st of March at 10.45am. Flowers or donations to the British Heart Foundation or Red Wings Horse Sanctuary. Gerald Baggett, known as Ger or Ger, of White Ladies Aston and Worcester, passed away peacefully on the 25th of January 2023, aged 95 years. A celebration of his life will be held at St John the Baptist Church, White Ladies Aston, on Tuesday the 21st of February at 12 noon, followed by interment at the churchyard. Family flowers only, please. And Harry Seaton Bashford sadly passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on Saturday the 28th of January 2023, aged 85 years. The funeral service would take place on Friday the 3rd of March at Aswood Cemetery, Tinton Avenue, Worcester, at, at 3.15 in the afternoon. Donations, if desired, will be for the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. Betty, or Irene, Seal, nay Peplo, passed away peacefully aged 95 on the 12th of January 2023. Funeral will take place on Monday the 27th of February, family flowers only. John Graham Trimnell, ex-British Rail, passed away at home on the 27th of January 2023, aged 91 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 22nd of February at 1pm. Family flowers only. Patricia Bridges, Pat passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on the 1st of February 2023, aged 90 years. Private interment followed by a service of thanksgiving at St Clement's Church on Thursday the 23rd of February at 2.45pm. Family flowers only. Margaret Maud Burfitt, nay Yates, passed away peacefully at home on the 31st of January 2023, aged 92 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 27th of February at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Michael Leslie Pegg, Mike of Malvern, passed away unexpectedly but peacefully in the arms of his wife Laurel on January the 15th, 2023, aged 76 years. 
Funeral service at Pershaw Abbey on Friday, February the 24th at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Margaret Theresa Jackson peacefully passed away on the 26th of January 2023, aged 87 years. The funeral has taken place. Anthony John Kitching, Tony, of Green Street, Kemsey, sadly passed away on January the 20th, 2023, aged 83 years, with no funeral details. Anne Oxley, aged 88, funeral service has taken place, but any donations to St Richard's Hospice, please. John Edward Ricketts, aged 88, the funeral service has taken place and any donations to British Heart Foundation. Suzette Margaret Wythes, or Sue, Sue passed away on the 25th of January 2023, aged 77 years. Funeral to be held on Tuesday the 7th of March 2023 at 1pm at Kroll Church. Family flowers only, please. <laughs> 